Gift Biz Unwrapped, Episode 17. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, and now it's time to light it up. Welcome to Gift Biz Unwrapped, your source for industry-specific insights and advice to develop and grow your business. And now, here's your host, Sue Monheit. Hi there, I'm Sue, and welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Whether you own a brick-and-mortar store, sell online, or are just getting started, you'll discover new insight to gain traction and to grow your business. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well. Today, we are joined by Terry August of Fanciful Fine Food and Baskets. Terry started Fanciful back in 1987 from her dining room table. Today, her business has grown into a famous fine food and gift shop on Melrose Avenue in Hollywood, just a five-minute walk from Paramount Studios. A look into the fanciful shop reveals an array of fresh gourmet foods and wine to suit any taste. What sets them apart is the elite clientele they serve while still offering a comfortable and personable environment. I've just got to do some name dropping here so you truly understand Terry's business. They maintain a gift site and send gift daily for Sony Pictures. Conan O'Brien has been a client for years, as well as my all-time favorite, Michael Jackson. They send gift baskets for many celebrities, such as Jennifer Lopez and Charlize Theron. One of their most recent jobs is a large gift basket for Lily Tomlin, who was nominated for an Emmy. I think you get the feel here. All this sounds really exciting to me, but she says it's just part of working in Hollywood. Let's jump over to Terry now and see what else we can find out about her fascinating company. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sue. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Is there anything you'd like to add to your introduction before we get started? No, you summed it up pretty darn well. I mean, we've been around for 28 years, and yes, we do celebrities, but you know what makes me happy sometimes is when we do gifts for that 93-year-old grandmother who loves Bud Light, you know, and you just go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll put that in a basket for her. I mean, we, we like to say we're of the people for the people. We just like making people happy and sending out these little baskets of love. So to get started, we like to align the conversation around the life of a motivational candle. The light shines on you while you share your stories and experiences. So shall we light it up? Sure. Talk to us about what your candle looks like. What color is the candle? Well, my candle is actually the color of my office that I'm sitting in right now. It's sort of this grayed plum. It's sort of an odd color, but it's beautiful. Some people, it's actually puce, which is like a grayed plum with a little bit of kind of edges of brown. And I just seem to gravitate to colors that require more than one word to describe them. (laughs) You know, I really like things that look different. Like some people would look at it and say it's purple. And some people might look at it and say it's gray. And some people might look at it and say, ah, it's got brown tones. But it's one of my favorite colors. It's very deep and soft and just kind of pretty. It's kind of where I live. So does that mean you're kind of undefinable? 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> or complicated if you want to be if you want to be truthful too. Yeah, I like layers. I'm a layer I'm a oh, multi-layered person. There you go. That that <laughs> which, works. <laughs> which is really I think is what makes my business successful because I can do something high end. I can do something for $15 for hotels. I can be whatever anybody needs me to be. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. If that doesn't sound terrible. (laughs) Well, so how about zeroing in on a quote that goes on that candle? Okay. Well, this is a very large candle. So I'm actually going to break the rule and give you two quotes because I couldn't decide between these two and they're very short, but they're both by Kurt Vonnegut, who is one of my favorite authors. And the first one's from Player Piano. And it says, I want to stand as close to the edge as I can without going over. Out on the edge, you see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. And then the other one I just had to include because it just sums up my view was a purpose of human life is to love whoever is around to be loved. And I don't know, that just kind of gets me. I like them both because my view is that I like viewpoints. And I love getting out and looking. We travel. I'm always talking to people. I go to conventions because I love other people and the universes they live in. And I love going to France and meeting people who make wine and how they do it. But I also love what we do because what we really do is we send out love. Somebody's sitting at their desk and they're getting something that's saying, I know you're alive and I'm glad of it. And that, I think in this world, I think we can look at negativity, but there's just so much love. And I think if you always operate from that place, like even if I have to fire somebody or I have to make a tough business decision, it can always be done with love. And I think everybody needs more love, not less. I had to use both those quotes because they kind of sum up who I am. That is so well said. I have nothing else to add to it because it is perfect. (laughs) Thank you for indulging me. It's a very big candle. I, have, I can do two sides. <laughs> of course you can. You can do anything you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's go back. We talked a little bit that you started on your dining room table back mm-hmm. in 1987. Woohoo, yes. How, from your vast background up to that point, where did you get the idea that you were going to open some type of business and was this what you had in mind or just give us the story? Oh my God, Sue, that's a great question. I have to blame my friend Lloyd Whitman who really pushed me to this. You know, it was one of those things where I think I always knew I was going to maybe work for myself. I'm not a real conventional person and I've always been sort of artistic. My husband is a musician. I actually met him when I ran Sound and Lights for him, traveled around the country being a roadie. I quit UCLA to go on the road with a band, which my father loved. (laughs) My military Italian father was thrilled when I wrote him a letter from Missoula, Montana um, and saying, I'm on the road with six guys. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I got a, hus- a great husband out of it. So he was okay. So anyway, my background is really to, to kind of make a long story sort of shortish. My background was design. I was studying interior design. And I did that. I worked with an architect who did very high end homes. I pulled in clients for him. I did a lot of like doctor's offices and stuff. And I really love design. And I think it really 
contributes to who I am right now because it taught me how to look. And that's what design does. It teaches you how to look and always be aware of what's in your environment. So I did that, but then I had my kids and it just wasn't working out for me to have kids and be with the architect. So I, um, then I began to do catering because I'm kind of, my loves in life are like food. I, Julia Child's an idol of mine. My mother was French. My dad was Italian. We were always around the table eating. So it's always been about food. And I always had people over and I'd always be making these big meals and they were all like you should cater so then I began to cater and I liked that too but it was fairly tiring and then one day I saw a woman at a craft fair who was doing a basket and it was beautiful and I went that's so interesting it's got food it's got pretty colors that might be an interesting thing to do and then my friend Loy who was back east in Jersey read this article in Family Circle of all things about a woman who was doing gift baskets out of her home in Colorado and she was doing these very pretty things so we kind of sat around my kitchen table I have a booth in my kitchen we would sit around there and plan our futures and my daughter was about three and my son was five at the time and my husband was teaching music out of our home and I said Let's try this. So we sort of picked the word fanciful because I didn't know which direction I wanted to go. And I liked fanciful because it was this great umbrella word. It's full of fancy. It's of the imagination. It's like not, it's of another world. So I went, okay, well, we could be fanciful designs. We could be fanciful food. I had done some floral design. I'd worked for a florist so I could be fanciful flowers. So I kind of was undecided, but I thought we would put some things together. So we actually did it in my house and we did it at her house at her dining room table. And I still have her table in my shop and I still use it to this day, the table it was born on. So what happened is some friends of mine who were in a band were going to be at a bridal fair. And they said, hey, do you want to share the booth with us? And I went, great, I can promote my catering and I can maybe bring a few bridesmaids baskets. And I really had this idea that I was going to do these pretty baskets. And I remember this was 1987. It was Victoria Magazine. It was pretty little houses, pastel colors. So I did it, but I had enough business acumen that I knew I needed a mailing list and I knew I needed to promote because I promoted my husband's band. And so I, I knew some stuff. But what surprised me when we did this is people loved the food I had there. But so many people said, well, you know, my husband owns a construction company and he sends baskets for the holidays. So I went, oh, well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So, you know, I did craft fairs. I did these things that were not where I needed to be. I had, you know, things in my home. But then what happened is we did a little mailer. And I had a good friend who was an artist. She drew this beautiful basket with, toppled on its side with gifts and food coming out. And we wrote up, <laughs> my friend and I, I don't know if we even had that many baskets designed, but we wrote up descriptions of baskets. And we had this great line that said, what makes Fanciful so special? And it was a great question. Then we went on to say why. And I mailed it. I got a little business directory and I mailed it to like 200 businesses. And within a week, I got an order for like 200 baskets. And I hadn't even been in business a month at this point. And that's probably when the light bulb went off for me on gift baskets. And I went, oh, my goodness. You know, I hadn't surveyed the field. I didn't know. I had no corporate background, which would have aided me. I just went, wow, this is awesome. People do this, you know. (laughs) People send baskets. So that kind of changed. So we we managed to do it out of our home. Well, let me stop you here for a second, because the point I want to focus on and make here is you kind of tested the waters not even knowing it. You know, because when you talk about this, you're very playful in how, you know, we just sent out this little mailer. It was all kind of fun. And, you know, you had all of your experience from 
the past because of designing and catering and food and, you know, your ability to coordinate color and all of that. But it was still sounds like it was pretty playful. And then all of a sudden you mail out this mailer again, very fun and light, not knowing what direction. And without knowing it, you tested the market and confirmed that there was a lot of opportunity out there for you. That's a really great point, Sue. You're right, because we were the antithesis, and we still are, of the liquor store baskets. This is before baskets were in every box store, before they were in every grocery store. You'd go to liquor store with things with red cellophane and a pull bow, you know, really kind of tacky bow. And so we were kind of like going to be the custom company, which we are, but we've evolved, certainly, you know. And so, yes, you're exactly right. Like, then we went, okay, this is something I can do from home. I don't have to cook a meal, put it in my car, take it across town, unload it. You know, I mean, I liked catering, but it was a lot of work. But and you always do your friends' weddings. You know, you're always like at the party, but you're always in the kitchen. So this kind of seemed like something I could do for my home. I could still travel. I kept it pretty low key the first year, but after the first year, I knew we couldn't do it out of our home again. And so we went to a space nearby and we had that space for a year. And then probably the year after, so 88, 89 was when my husband came on full time as my partner. And then we began to really grow. We began to get known in Hollywood. I remember like one of the first baskets we did for Hollywood. Now, this is a long time ago. So this was um, this was a Star Trek movie. And they sent me a script. They used to send me scripts. And I would come up with designs out of the script. And it was really a fun time in Hollywood. And it's not quite like that now. But um, And I remember they were camping in Yosemite. It was with William Shatner. It was the old crew, uh, Leonard Nimoy. And we did this whole camping basket for them. That was, the bow was made out of rope. And it was, it, so it did use, I still use all my design stuff. And people still call me with, hey, I need to do this project and make this effect. What can you do? And then we did something for The Godfather 3. We got violin cases and we put people's, every actor's and producer's name on the outside and packed it with like Italian food and sent it back to Italy, which was really funny. So yes, all of a sudden these opportunities came about while we were still young and it sort of helped me formulate what direction to take Fanciful. And we've just grown. like, And so now I would say, from doing a lot of specialty baskets, we still do, but we have grown into being more about food and good food and that kind of thing as a way to kind of make ourselves stand out against the huge conglomerates that are out there doing, you know, $29 baskets. Right. So you're telling us of all these really cool designs and that you, the creations you've made off of scripts and also how your company's grown in terms of being from the dining room table to then a shop to now the location you have currently, possibly some steps in between. But you know, nothing is always easy. It's not a smooth road. <laughs> um, oh, sure it is. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is all simple. Let's talk about some of those road bumps that you've encountered along the way. Tell us a story or two about some challenges that you've had. And then also, um, most interesting for our, our listeners is what did you do to overcome those challenges? Cool. Yeah, of course, there were lots of challenges. <clears throat> like I said, my husband, neither my husband nor I had a great corporate background. We knew enough to look at statistics. I think the biggest mistakes we probably made was number one, my husband quitting his job so early and had this having to support us, but it has, it has supported the both of us and other people. I think one of the biggest mistakes we made early on was we looked at our sales all the time and our sales were robust, but I don't think I looked at what it costs to make those sales. 
And I would say that's a really cautionary tale for people because we were just doing great. We were doing over a million in business, but then I wasn't really looking at our profit loss, our cash flow enough and going, wow, but it cost me this much to do it. So we survived and we did fine, but I think we would have survived better. Things would have been maybe a little easier if I had looked at that earlier. Luckily, I just finished this really big business program through Goldman Sachs and it was nothing but numbers and it really put it into alignment. So I would that would be my cautionary tale for anybody starting a business is it's great to have terrific sales, but you really need to know what it's costing you. It's the unglamorous side, but when you get into it, it's actually very sexy. <laughs> it really is. It's like, I love numbers because they give me truth. They give me data and I'm a data person. And I go, oh my goodness, last year we spent this much more on labor, but our sales stayed the same. What the heck? And it gives you a way to steer your boat. Like, don't you want to, before your car goes off the cliff, be able to turn it, you know, so you stay on the road. And so it's really important to know that. And I think that set us up. And then, of course, you know, there was the crash of 2008. And that was devastating. I mean, there were a lot of gift basket businesses in L.A. I was just talking to a sales rep that um, sells to me. And she says, you're the only one left. I used to get all my business from gift basket companies. And that was tough because we had a client in a dealership that would 100 baskets a week. And that dropped to like 20. We had mortgage companies that did Christmas baskets. We had banks. It was disaster. So what did you do? So how did you survive when everyone else kind of went by the wayside? One thing we did after the crash is we realized we had too much space. We had almost 4,000 square feet and we wanted to sort of edit and make it smaller and groovier. And our landlord was sort of funny because we'd had half the space and then we took the other half. So we had like 18, 1900 square feet and there was an identical space next door and we knocked walls out. So we began to just go to one side and we're going to put the walls back up. And I looked at the space in the back and it had its own door out to the back. It had its own bathroom. And I looked at my husband. I said, you know, I bet we could sublet this. Sure enough, we sublet it to this guy who runs a club he was okay with my landlord. It's, it's no alcohol. It's all for like high school kids. His daughter is actually going to be on The Voice, I think. And, um, and they come in in January. This is so sweet. They leave in early November and they pay a third of our rent. And so we were wow. able to get our rent. So, so it was just, it's that same thinking outside the box. Don't be stopped. I didn't really want to move. We can walk to work. I knew the rent was good for where we were. Our location is amazing for our deliveries we do and for like if somebody needs something odd, like a wine we don't carry, we have a place up the street we go. It was just easy. So that and the guy, he's going to renew next year. He loves it. He loves being in there. He's still there. He's there. They're actually over there today as an aside because his daughter is getting on The Voice, I think. And Carson Daly is coming to do something at their club. It's a little club called Amplify, but it's getting really well known. And it's just they enter through the back. They have their own door. So they come into our parking lot that we don't see them. They don't bother us or they're mainly at night. So it's this ideal thing, but they pay over a third of our rent. Really good idea in terms of thinking outside the box, you know, in a challenging economic time, what else could you do that's a little bit different than what you would normally traditionally be thinking? And here, what a great solution that you're even using today. I never say die, Sue. I never say die. And it's cool because if we have a class or we have an event, we need the space. The guy's very cool. If they're not having anything there, we can open it up and we can use it. Oh, perfect. Because you're probably during the day anyway. And they're at night. Yeah. And so it's, it's fine. Or if they're not doing something one night and we want to have, we had a reading over there. We, we, we've had acting classes come in and use it during the day and they're fine with it. We give them some of the money and an acting class will rent it for like a thousand a week and they have a stage and everything. And so it's just, you know, being open to possibilities, I guess. 
open to possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> and being willing to play a game, you know, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're not going to go under. So, you know, it's just, you have to decide you're going to persist and you're going to persist well. And how's that going to happen? What else did you do to survive the downturn? Well, I'm really tough. My dad was 25 years in the military and I think I am my father's daughter and I just never say die. We had luckily how we had a Paris apartment, a small one that I'm still sad that we sold, but we had sold it before we knew the crash because it was kind of hard to maintain. So we had some cash to keep Wally and me liquid and I still paid all my employees. I cut back, really cut back on staff. But what I really did, and it was like a watershed moment for us, is, you know, here we are at Christmas, and we've had a pretty mediocre Christmas, but we've survived, and we we pulled some of it out, but people were so afraid. People were so afraid to spend. Nobody knew what was going to happen. So what we did is we're sitting there, and we get this email from one of the big, big, big people, and they were selling like a $29.99 basket with free shipping, and we went, holy crap, we can't do that. You know, I can't sell a $30, $40 basket with free shipping. and My margins won't support that. Well, do we give up? And I went, no, because you know what? We don't want to do that. That's not who we are. And maybe we, you know, so what it made us do was look at what we loved. And what we really loved and what our specialty was, was number one, customer service. Those big box stores cannot come close to the customer service that we give. I mean, we are amazing. Like we take care of our clients, we deliver, we ship, we do all sorts of stuff for them. We customize. But then I also knew our food was better. And it allowed me to really get into great food. I mean, my grandfather was a farmer and my cousins raised cattle. So I'm very into knowing where my food comes from. I'm really into organics. I'm really into sustainable. And so I really got into offering a better product, traveling more, meeting people, focusing on local, focusing on everything that they couldn't do. And I, my job was to drive this wedge between us and them. So nobody would even expect to get a $29.99 basket. I have $30 gifts that are terrific. And so we just pushed quality and it really worked. 2009 was scary. I mean, it was scary, but I talked to a good accountant and he said, look, you get through 2009, you'll get through 2010. And if you get through 2010, it's just going to get better. And it has. And I think what we came away with is I feel like I know who we are more and we're doing more fun things. We're having cheese classes in our shop. We have better food than we've ever had. So it's very exciting. And I think we've gotten closer to the ideal for Fanciful as a result. I love what you said here, because a big takeaway for me is that you're not going to be everything for everybody. And you recognized right away, look, I am not going to compete with the box stores. I am not going to compromise my quality or your integrity in terms of customer service and offer something just to match what the competition's doing. I'm going to position myself in a different way, something that fits me, meaning mm-hmm. you, of course, and that you're passionate about and that your employees are passionate about. And you really, even though you might say fine foods and gift baskets are kind of a broad industry, you niched it way down. Exactly. To fresh foods, quality products, upscale and customer service. Exactly, Sue. That's exactly right. And it's and the focus is the thing because I think you, you nailed it when you said, I think we were trying to be everything to everybody. And you sort of have to in business, you have to pay rent. 
take and sometimes those jobs that you think are going to be lousy jobs end up being great jobs because they're easy and they're fun and you just do them you know we did 3,000 pieces for UCLA recently and it was fun it was easy they were $10 but they were great and I kept my staff busy but you're right it's I think it's easy to get just all over the place especially in a business like ours that isn't that focused you can go in a million directions so bringing it down it made it very easy to decide like where do we promote what do we do you know, what's our message? And it made it actually easier to figure out some of those things rather than trying to be everything to everybody. Exactly right. And you know, that doesn't mean you don't take jobs that are out of your main scope, but you consciously are doing it. Exactly. And you still promote to exactly what your core is, your, your core concept and your core product. Exactly. So. And I never wanted to be like, I always, when I started, I remember this so clearly. I said to somebody, I want to be the kind of place where someone can come in after work and pick up a 10 to $15 gift for their spouse. I love the fact that people can get a great $15, $20 gift from us. We can wrap up some food. We can do something. But you want something extravagant. Like, you know, we do baskets for the presidents. There's some guy, I won't get into it, some dignitary that sends $4,000 baskets to President Clinton and President Bush and President Obama every year, you know, and we do those. What is in a $4,000 basket? Really expensive stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's tough at the White House because you can't send food. Oh, so you're doing electronics and brand name soft goods and that kind of thing. Yeah, and we do things like for Obama, we do things for the kids. Sometimes a container is really nice. We did a big game table one time. Silver, antique silver sometimes. Sometimes it's very antique and high end because this guy has is kind of English and stuff. So we we try and think sometimes I do a lot of like like especially through the crash and all that because we've been doing this for about 15 years did various presidents or 10 years at least sometimes um, I'll do like all made in America I'll do like great shaker boxes from back east and I'll try and get things from all sorts of um, different vendors and play up like for Obama I got these beautiful bowls from Hawaii and that kind of thing like I try and I always I'm a really good gifter in that I sort of get the sixth sense about people. So I try and look into people's kind of spaces. And I think it's the designer in me because you're always looking around looking for inspiration. So I think it allows me to sort of get a sense of people and then create from that. It's just this weird little ability I have that I always have since I was a kid. I've always been a really good gift giver. Always. It's always what I've loved to do too. My first job, I was excited about getting my first job in high school because I could buy people better gifts. I mean, I actually thought that when I was like 15 and a half, that that was the main purpose for my job and pay for my first trip to Europe. (laughs) I love that you bring this up because anybody who's thinking about, you know, I want to go into business, but I don't know what it's going to be. What you're talking about right here, just reflect back what, when you were younger, really got you going, really got you excited and happy, because more than likely, that's a very innate passion that you have. And who would have thought as a child with gifts and that type of thing that that would end up being not only your profession, but such a successful business as it is today. And you're still using those talents, you know, putting together all this creativity and to, you know, to your point, be having an intuitive gut feel of what that recipient should receive. 
Exactly. I won't get into it, but there are stories where I've just known something was right. Okay, I got to tell you this one real quick because this is so interesting. We were doing something for a child in a hot kid in a hospital who was getting a lung transplant. The thing about this job is you really do get into people's lives and you find out things that are fascinating. So it's perfect for me. But this son, I think the mom was giving her son a lung, which just chokes me up right there. And they wanted things the kid could do in the hospital. And I had this harmonica kit, this harmonica thing. And I went, why don't we give him this? I said, and everyone's like, no, you shouldn't put, he's in a hospital. I said, yeah, I know everyone's going to probably hate him, but I don't know. I think this would be a really good thing. I don't know why it indicates. I got a call from the woman who sent it. And this is almost going to choke me up. She said, you know, you put that harmonica in. The doctor said that was the perfect exercise for him for learning to use his new lung. And he's going to incorporate that into treating other patients. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, they wrote. It's crazy. It's crazy, but somehow I just went, I don't know. He may disturb other people with it, but this will be fun. It had, you know, how to play and it had a book with it. And so that's the kind of thing that sometimes happens. Miracles do happen. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Whoa, thank you for sharing that story. That was just interesting. That is. Well, Gift Biz listeners, I made a decision. Terry is sharing such valuable content with us that I really didn't want to stop her as she was going through all of her stories. But we are getting kind of long. I like to keep these episodes about 30 minutes so they're very digestible for you. What I'm going to do is cut this into two parts. So right now we're going to stop. This is the end of part one, and it's fabulous because we've ended on that very uplifting story. And stay tuned now next week for part two, where Terry's going to go through what her natural traits are, tools that keep her productive, books, lots of different types of information, along with more incredible stories, and not to be missed, Terry's answer to her dare to dream question. We'll get back with Terry next week on Gift Biz Unwrapped. Learn how to work smarter while developing and growing your business. Download our guide called 25 Free Tools to Enhance Your Business and Life. It's our gift to you and available at giftbizunwrap.com slash tools. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us for the next episode. Would you like to be on the show? Or do you know someone who can provide valuable insight from their experiences? If so, we'd love to hear from you. All you need to do is submit a form for consideration. You can access the form at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash guest. That's giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash G-U-E-S-T. Today's show is sponsored by the Ribbon Print Company. Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a happy birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out the ribbonprintcompany.com for more information.